Hey Rebel, I am so excited to announce that season two of Duped, the dark side of online business that I co-host with Maggie Patterson is back. I wanted to share this episode with you, which is on courses, money-making dream or business-killing nightmare, (laughs) because I feel like courses are the one thing that I am always asked about. My clients are thinking, oh, well, maybe I should create a course. And that always leads us into this discussion of, well, should you really? And do you want to have that kind of business. Because in the online world, courses are described as the way to scale. But are they really? And how do you know if it's right for your business? Those are the questions that we are diving into for this episode of Duped. Plus, there's some math about how big of an audience you actually need to be successful with courses. So I hope you enjoy this very special episode of Duped. Create it once, set it on autopilot, and make money while you sleep with a course. You will never have to trade dollars for hours again. These are just some of the many promises celebrity entrepreneurs make to get you to enroll in their course that teaches you how to, you guessed it, create a course. But do courses live up to the hype? Find out in this episode of Duped. Let's do it. Welcome to Duped, a limited series podcast which explores the dark side of online business. If you've ever felt like you've been duped by a celebrity entrepreneur or coach or watched with wonderment while people do downright dirty things to grow their business, this is the show for you. I'm Dr. Michelle Mazur. And I'm Maggie Patterson. And we're two seasoned communications pros. And we've got a lot of questions about the practices, strategies, and tactics that are all too common in online business. In Duped, we're going to pack all of it with a focus on why it's happening, what we need to know about it, and more importantly, what each of us can do about it. Let's do it. Maggie, welcome back. Here we are. It's season two of Duped. Before we dive into all the course goodness, I thought we should tell our dear listeners like why we decided to come back for a season two. Um, because there's endless amounts of fuckery <laughs> that we can talk about. Like we can have like a season 67. <laughs> Endless amounts of fuckery. You heard it here, folks. That is why we are back with Duped because I felt the same way. Like, I I feel like the first season we did a great job of covering some of like the main aspects where people get duped. And then this season we can dive into more specifics. It's especially things like, you know, courses or selling from the stage or high ticket everything, like some of those real specifics and talk about the nuance before you decide to pursue those paths. Yeah. And I think part of the conversation that, you know, we had coming out of season one was really around the fact that, you know, we had a lot of questions, we had a lot of suggestions, and there's a lot of people who really felt like, there were so many things that they wanted more of a deep dive in. So we're going to, you know, kind of go like a layer down from where we went last season. And I think one of the other things that was really interesting is, you know, there was a little bit of critique around the podcast Um, and Michelle did not know I was going to bring this up, but I'm bringing it up. Here I go. Um, There was a little bit of critique around the podcast about like, is this the right conversation in terms of, you know, 
who is being duped. And I just want to say, you know, as much as possible, Michelle and I are trying to bring a very inclusive lens to this um, because the reality is, is from what I see and from the conversations I am having behind the scenes, because this is very silent and people don't talk about this in public. You know, a lot of the people being duped are, they have less resources, they hold marginalized identities, and that's part of this conversation. This is not just about um, white, you know, non-intersectional feminist liberals in the Northeast losing a little bit of money that would have been in their investment fund. This is consumer advocacy because it impacts so many people and disproportionately people with less resources and that have um, non-dominated identities. Yeah. And if if we go back to that American Express statistic that 88% of women-owned businesses make less than $100,000 a year, like this this is the issue like we have so many women not making enough money to thrive in their lives and yet they're spending money on all of these courses and then not getting what they need to actually build their business and that impacts people who yeah don't have the resources yeah we're not talking about the women who have a trust fund yeah, who have who have the trust fund, who have the husband that supports them. Um, I'm not concerned about them. I'm concerned about the people who don't have resources and they're investing so much money into these programs and courses. Yeah, and I mean, and the psychology of this is the scarcer your resources are, the more apt you are to fall into these traps. And that's just that's just research that's so backed up. And I will link that in the show notes because I don't have the reference right at the, my fingertips, but that's a lot of the reason. And like, we're also talking about this because it's just interesting, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. just interesting. The same way I love a good cult documentary or a documentary on LuLaRoe, this this is interesting to dive into, to dissect, and to start these conversations. And to have each of you kind of thinking critically about, hmm, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, or I I thought I was the only one. I hear that a lot from people. I thought I was the only one, you know, that that saw this. Yeah, well, because we can't talk about these things because of the non disparagement agreements in most contracts for the programs and courses you signed up for. So we're not allowed and it becomes this whisper network to find out like what's good, what's legit, what's not. And if you don't have that network, you're deprived of that information. Yeah. Not to mention a lot of people won't even tell the truth about their experiences because they're now an affiliate for that crappy product. Okay. Don't get me started on that. We, we're going to talk about courses today. So we want to start with the course myth. So let's let's dive in there. Okay. So Maggie, when clients come to you and, and this client says, I'm going to scale my business with a course, what's the first thing that you say to them? Well, there's the first the raised eyebrow, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, why are you here? I work with service business owners. But you know, one of the things I encounter with my clients being service business owners, a lot of them feel like they've reached this mythical income cap, and I'm air quoting this, and that adding a course or a membership is going to be the solution. So I ask a lot of questions, and Mm -hmm. a lot of it comes down to like, who are you serving? Do you have an in with that audience? Do you have the marketing resources to do this? I asked a lot of questions because (sighs) the dream is not 
as it's being sold. No, not at all. And I'm in the same boat because my clients who are usually doing pretty well with their one-on-one services, um, they'll be like, yeah, I think I'm going to scale with the course. And I'm like, wait, like, let, let, let's talk yeah. about if this is the right move for you. Because I've been going through the marketing <laughs> preparation of this podcast episode. And courses are often billed as the way service-based business owners can expand their capacity and scale their I business. I, I know. I know you're rolling your eyes so hard right now. Or it's talked about as the way for corporate people to make a, their side hustle a full-time gig. You just have to sell your digital course and you can ditch your nine-to-five job. Or it's the way for budding entrepreneurs, so people who are new to business, still figuring things out to create more freedom and stop trading time for money, which... Uh, which is one of the myths I'm looking forward to busting on this episode. Oh, I have a lot to say about that one based on personal experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, which I can't wait to dive into. So those who sell course creation programs and products are often selling this dream so hard by saying things like, no audience, no problem. You can still make bank with courses, even with a tiny audience, which could be true, but a lot of the times it isn't, and we'll talk about that, that you create a course once and you just set it on autopilot and you make money in your sleep and it's the dream. You wake up every day to more PayPal notifications. It's amazing. And that the only way to scale your business is through a course. And if you don't have a course, you're going to hit a revenue ceiling selling your services and your, your income will always be capped. But is all of that true? So we're going to dig in around these claims and look at the good, the bad, and the math of online <laughs> courses so you can avoid being duped. And I did want to start with the good because I don't want to make this whole episode about the horrors of courses because objectively courses are neutral. There's nothing wrong with a course or wanting to create a course. So if you are a course creator and you're doing great, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this business model. My objection is really around how they are marketed and sold as this panacea that will give you ultimate freedom. And, and in some cases, yeah, yes, sure, that might happen. And in some cases, courses can be the best way to deliver information to your clients. So Maggie, have you ever taken a course that you really liked and felt it delivered the goods? You know, I had to really think about this because I don't think for me as from a learning style point of view that a lot of courses are set up well for me, but I will, mm -hmm. and this is more of a program, but I'm going to talk to the course um, element of it is I did last year, uh, Feminist Coach Academy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have struggled with in most courses is the fact that they're video-based. I really, mm. oh, uh, the lack of accessibility is a real challenge. And I'm glad to see the industry starting to change around that because I don't think I've ever completed a course without a transcript and everything in the feminist coach Academy, you know, had the video, it had the, um, 
the captioning, it had the transcript, it had a podcast. And I think having those different learning modalities meant that I actually got it done. And then, you know, the quality of the content, the level of thoughtfulness, um, they didn't just kind of bring in their friends. They brought in true experts and that made the content really, really compelling, very relevant. And then the last thing they did, I thought was great from just a supporting learners is we had like basically workbooks for everything, but then we have like an integration type of workbook Mm -hmm. um, to take like, what are the lessons? And in the case of the Feminist Coach Academy, you know, we're running that through um, Libertary Consciousness Framework from Barbara J. Love. And that was really helpful because at first I was like, oh, I hate doing this. But (laughs) I like, I hated it. But by the last thing, I was like, this has been so compelling because I'm going through those things instead of kind of, and if you're not familiar with the framework, you know, definitely go look it up. But I wasn't just cutting into like action mode. I was analyzing it. I had accountability, had all the elements there. And I thought that that was um, a really good way to take subject matter that's very heady, um, is challenging for some of us and really breaking it down into clear action steps. And at the end of every lesson, I had a clear action I was going to take. So at the end, when I created an accountability plan, that's what I used. Like it was very Mm. thoughtful in terms of the instructional design. And it was not like it wasn't the fanciest course. It wasn't, they didn't have jazzy slides, but the thoughtfulness of that experience really made a big difference for me as a learner. Yeah, because what I've seen with a lot of courses, especially ones like teaching a big topic, like like a like a feminist coaching course. The yeah, there's a lot of topics in there. <laughs> yeah, that was like that. I, I saw their syllabus and that it was an um, like an immense course and an immense undertaking. Because I know for me, like I do like taking courses. I will take the course and I will watch everything. I won't necessarily implement it, which is And I think that's part of me as this lifelong learner. I just like to take in a lot of information. But for me, like the courses that I've taken that have been the best have always been teaching me a specific skill, like how to do Instagram well or how to create a social media system that is like running for you in the background. Like it was a very specific, tangible thing that I'm, that I was that I was doing and I enjoy learning that way when it's like, or like I took a Facebook ads course and that, that was great. <laughs> like I learned a ton about Facebook ads and it was very actionable. Like, you know, she walked us through everything. So I think for me, if it's delivering a specific skill and it's taught in a way, and we'll talk a little bit about this, that isn't just an information dump that course that courses can be a very effective way of learning for me but i hear you on the different like learning modalities and styles like most courses are not set up for people who need a different way of learning yeah and not everyone's going to watch a video fyi (laughs) oh no yeah like just yeah create that podcast create that private private podcast please it's easier now than ever (laughs) but or the transcripts or the captions like all of it needs to be there in the course to make it accessible and what i found interesting was um i ran into a survey from terrain which is an online learning platform and they found that over 90 percent of entrepreneurs who bought a course that cost a hundred dollars 
dollars or less reported that they felt satisfied with the value they got out of it. So if you have a lower price course, $100 or less, most people will be like, all right, yeah, I got my money's worth from this course. On the other hand, satisfaction levels were lower at 73%. And I I actually thought that was kind of high, but that's just me, Um, for users who invested more than $1,000 in a course. So courses, especially at lower price points, can be very valuable to your clients to do that. Let's teach you a specific skill. But students expect more, not surprisingly, from a higher price course, which is a lot of what we see sold in the online space. And I think what's really interesting about this is if I think of my best course experiences, they've been on, like, you know, aside from maybe from a coach academy, select other things, they've been lower priced things because they've been very, very specific. They've been very short. And, you know, my expectations are in check. Whereas if I spend over a thousand dollars and you give me something that's kind of, eh, I'm not going to be very happy. Yes. Yes. So let's go in and start talking about some of the myths around the course or or what I call the bad of the course. And the biggest thing I hear about courses from my clients, from all the marketing, is that courses are the way to scale your business. But are they? And (laughs) one of the things that really annoys me is... We need to talk about how the online business world doesn't understand what scaling actually is. In the online space, we hear like scale your business, but they're not actually talking about scale. They're talking about growth. And those are two very different things. And I know it sounds like I'm being a nitpicky word nerd, but words matter. Um, Michelle, I don't think it's nitpicky at all. I've talked about this a ton. This makes, and it's because I like literally started working in the like tech bubble point, you know, early stage, right? Like, so I've seen this a million times and like, this is not scale. What we talk about in this industry is not scale. No. So let's talk about what the difference between growth and scale is so that you can be a savvy consumer of this marketing. So Lighter Capital, which is a startup financier for startups, obviously, um, they explain what the difference is in a blog post. And they said, when companies grow, they are increasing their revenue equally as fast as they are adding resources to enable that increase. So they're bringing in more revenue, but their expenses are also rising. Whereas when companies scale, they add revenue at a faster rate than they take on new costs. So when companies scale, they are being more efficient. So they're not spending any more on resources. They're maintaining their expenses at the same level and they're increasing their revenue. And I think that's the important thing. When we're growing, yes, we're bringing on more people to, you know, 
do customer service or to deliver the product or like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, all of those things that we have to do for courses. And so that is increasing our expenses. So we are talking about growth. We are not running our business more efficiently, which is what you need to do for scaling. So Maggie, now it's time for you to tell us a little tale. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Take a journey back in time. Take a journey back in time to when you created a course. Can you tell me like why you did it and what happened and did it increase your expenses? Everyone wants to know. Yeah. So let's talk about why Maggie loves service businesses so much. And it's because <laughs> I did a dabble. I more than dabbled. I, I dabbled a lot in the course world. And I think you know, there's two parts to this is number one, you know, I did a bunch of mini courses, you know, kind of a hundred dollar price point, super, super successful, but it's really hard to make money on $97 products. Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, our most popular products sold over a hundred products. It was $10,000. Basically we'd netted out over that, but the expenses on that were not insignificant. Right. Um, And Mm -hmm. we just, it was like, Are we going to play the Facebook ads game or what? But I want to talk about when I created my signature course. Michelle was there. She knows. I remember Um, these days. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? I think one of the reasons I did it, it would be really easy for me to be like, okay, I'm going to totally blame my coach at the time, which I kind of blame her a little bit. Um, Okay. More than a little bit. But I think it was one of those things at the time. This was like 2014, 2015. This was just seen as the thing I was supposed to do next. Yes. Like I had... I, I was in that classic scenario. They talk about like your your revenue from your service business is capped. And I, I confess, I fell for the lie, hook, line, and sinker. And so I created the course. And what a monumental undertaking that was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took me like the better part of a year. And I think what's really interesting what happened is I definitely invested money into it. You know, remember, this is before we had Teachables. And convert kit. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I had Infusionsoft. I had, you know, had to have a custom membership site build. I had to have branding. I had to have trans, you know, like there was a lot of it. I had a video editor. Like there was a lot of money invested in that. And I could cash flow that because I had services. Um, so, you know, my expenses went up significantly. Uh-huh. I did break, I, I did more than break even on my first course launch, which I was really happy with. Um, but I think the interesting thing of it at the end of the day was in that time period, I was so focused on the course, I was turning away clients. So I, I, I figured out afterwards, like I turned around, turned away about $30,000 worth oh. of business. Because oh I was like, well, I'll just make that more than back, more than that back from the course. <gasps> yeah, you know, because I still had to get out of the hole from the course. So, you know, I launched it once more than broke even, launched it a second time about three, four months later, decided I really hated the course model. And since then, I've created a bunch of mini, like mini courses, and I still have those, some of those hanging around. But for me, it's just not the the course launch model. Um, and I know that's changed to Evergreen now a lot more. It's just, it's bad for me. It's a bad fit. Um, and I didn't, I didn't enjoy that way of working with clients. Like i I'm like, did they do the thing? I don't know. Ah. So yeah, it did increase my expenses. Um, did I make some money? Absolutely. What did I do again? No. 
I absolutely <laughs> would not. It's because I bought into the light. And this was, you know, that second course launch where I decided I hate it. I had a little bit of a breakdown. That's what led to everything after where it's like, what's gotten me to do. So we can go back in time and say that was great. Yeah. So did it, but that's what made me double down on service businesses. It's made me do a mastermind, made me start talking about this stuff because I bought the lie first. So there you go. Confessions, true stories. We can come back to the present day now. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. No, but I really appreciated that because I think you hit on a few things. It's like the cost of it, the amount of time and energy you have to put mm-hmm. into creating the course, even if you validate it beforehand, because I know there's the whole like, don't do don't create anything until you validate it. But even after you validate it to really make it worth your while or to make it a part of like a sustainable part of your business, it does increase your costs. And I I have to say, as a former professor, I hate not knowing what uh, that my students are doing the work or getting yeah. the result that I want them to get. It's kind of this black hole. You send out an email and then it's like, well, your course thing, you know, your module is now ready and you pray to God that they're going to do it. <laughs> and you have an, in, like no insight. I know there's some, I know there's like ways to get insight into like where they are in their completion, but you don't know if they're getting the result or actually implementing it. Just because somebody watches something, I know this, doesn't mean they implement it. <laughs> so. Well, and more importantly, like, okay, so like I have, this is a perfect example of this is for me, I like working with people in like a deep way. I like to get to know them. Mm -hmm. A group like, you know, a Facebook group at the time was the thing. And like, yeah, I got to know people, but not, not to the way that I find personally satisfying. And like a lot of people don't want to work with clients. I really like enjoy and value and adore a lot if not most of my clients, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's been a few over the years. So there's always a caveat in there. But you know, the reality is, is that I, that connection is really important to me. And for me, like, I would rather have 25 people in the mix than 250 people like me feeling responsible for 250 people is like having 250 little kids or kittens. I don't need that. <laughs> oh, come on. 250 kittens. That would be super cute. That's a lot of cat litter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Except for that part. But you know, yes, I completely agree. And then, like one of the things I wanted to chat on, and I'm just going to skip around real quick from our script, is that the fact that if you are delivering something that is a transformational experience, and I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast do transformational work with their clients, of course, might not be the best way. I know for the messaging work that I do, I have thought about this a million times, like how do I create a group program? How do I create a course? And it's not feasible because I really need to be up in someone's business and understanding Mm -hmm. like who their clients are, how they speak, what words they're using in order to create messaging that actually works and persuades people. I can't be removed. So when we have these deeply transformational experiences, courses might not be the best way to deliver that. Period. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't think a course is a deeply transformational experience. And I think, you know, if we want to look at what are some other ways you're going to increase revenue by sticking mm-hmm. that transformation, like, could it be a group 
programs. So it's a combination hybrid type yes. thing. Um, is it a mastermind type model? Are you offering a combination of done for you and done with you services? Are you creating an agency where you can really deliver like high touch kind of white glove service? Um, could you just increase the price of your service or whatever it is you're doing? Could you, my favorite, decrease expenses? Like there's a <laughs> lot of way to, ways to increase revenue without it having to be a course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I love the idea of taking some of like the good elements of a course and infusing it into other experiences. Like I know for me in my one-on-one -on -one work, I have some videos embedded in the playbooks I give to clients because I realized I was answering the same questions again and again when somebody started a playbook. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to make a video of this and make them watch it. And it's three minutes long. They get the information they need and they're better, to, they're better able to execute. So I think, you know, I love... I love hybrid approaches. <laughs> I just think they're the one of the better ways. Like if you do have to do some teaching, if there is that knowledge transfer, that you can still do that while delivering, uh, you know, a one-on-one -on -one service or a part of your mastermind or your group programs. Yeah. And I think here's the thing that's interesting in all this. If we talk about like the course design completion rate part of this is, oh yeah, you know, we're trying to get us back on the script. <laughs> Sorry, I just like to go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, you know me, I like to follow the script. Um, but I think what's interesting, you know, in terms of those things is a lot of the reason we don't have high completion rates or high satisfaction rates, there's this, this epidemic of refunds in this industry comes down to poor course design because we're trying to do something transformational in a really hands-off course. Exactly. So let's go into some of the research around completion rates and talk a little bit about course designs. Because one of the big messages around courses is that it's how you make more of an impact. It's how you make a bigger difference in people's lives. But that assumes that people actually complete and implement the course. Now, real talk, Maggie, how many courses have you bought and didn't complete? <laughs> oh. Quite a few. There's one right now I, I bought a while ago that I need to like get it together on. Um, but I think what's interesting is a lot of the time the courses I bought and didn't complete, they're impulse purchase. <laughs> they uh -huh. weren't something I actually needed because I can think of those first few, like especially more expensive online courses I did. Like I literally printed out the workbooks and had a binder. I'm a good student. Of course you are. Yeah, like I've had like, I've had some courses where it's like I do all the act, you know, all the exercises and I implement and I do the best job, but I have taken a lot or purchased a lot of courses where I never completed it and some of them was just like I realized that this wasn't for me for my business after buying it, which I know is a realization a lot of people have. They buy a course and then they're like wait a second, this isn't the kind of business I want to have. And I've had that experience. And then I've just had courses that are poorly, poorly designed, which I want to get to in a second, because I think talking about like completion rates is so yeah. important. And, and it leads into this idea of how we design courses. So 
Unfortunately, data is not available for completion rates of online business coaches or courses sold by celebrity entrepreneurs, but the best comparable data is available for studies that looked at MOOCs, which are massive open online courses, and they're hosted by like Coursera, Stanford, Stanford, MIT, some of the biggest universities. And about five years ago, these were like, these were like the thing. They were going to be the next generation of higher education and access for everyone, except there was a little bit of a problem. According to Katie Jordan, who compiled the MOOC completion database, I got really nerdy with this, by the way, guys. Really? <laughs> she found that the completion rates for these MOOCs are between 5% and 15%. And the best courses top out at about 40% completion. And the thing to understand about these MOOCs is that these courses are designed by people who are experts in course design and the science of learning. And the completion rates are pretty abysmal. So I would say a 5 to 15% completion rate. I think that's probably what we could expect in the online business world. And for me, if you're here to make a difference, like, like that's kind of an unacceptable completion rate. And I think the bigger problem is that most business owners don't actually know how to design a course to get a result or to optimize completion. They don't have learning objectives. They're like this big data dump of just info. So Maggie, what do you think all of this means for the completion rates for online business courses? They're not good. I can tell you they're not good. Like there's a reason a lot of my clients joke about their course graveyard. Yeah. It's because we get, and it's because of the marketing around this. It's because of the sales tactics. I mean, you know, going back to the real spirit of duped, it's the ecosystem of these. It's not the courses necessarily themselves, but people buy these things thinking one thing and then they get in there and they have a bad experience with the actual, you know, instructive experience if you know the the actual user experience is terrible right so mm -hmm. you know in, there's a reason instructional design is a thing yeah i remember once i was gifted a course and i think it was a course on email marketing or something and i tried to take it but i i would sit there and try to watch the videos and try is the operative word because it'd be like what is, I, I didn't know what the point was of every single video. And it was just confusing. And it was a lot of information. And it just overwhelmed me. And I'm like, I thought this was supposed to make email marketing easier, not like blowing my mind and overwhelming me with all of this information that I don't know how to take action on. And, and uh -huh. No, it's a good point, though, because when I think of the mini courses and the courses that I have been most successful for over, and I was just, I'm about to kind of do a little promo on one of them. And none of the lessons are over like 17 minutes. If I can't teach you the, the concept in 15 minutes, it needs to be a different lesson. We need to think about if that needs to be in there. Like time is valuable. Mm -hmm. I want you to be able to get in and get out through that lesson in an hour and actually like do the stuff and implement it, not like be stuck in like three hours. Like this is not, you know, archaeology 101 in first year college. 
Yeah, and and it's business. We're not test. We're not testing your knowledge of Ooh. email marketing or whatever the thing is. We want you to be able, as a teacher, we want you to be able to implement it and see a result in your business. Because skills development and develop, you know, comes from actually doing the thing. This is why you know hands-on learning experiences are a thing in school. So having people stuck behind their laptop just learning, 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 and not actually doing anything. It's not good. It's a waste of everyone's time. No, exactly. Exactly. And once again, if you are delivering that transformational experience or you want to have more of an impact, like like a course, your course sitting in somebody's course's graveyard is not going to do that for you or for them. So, And how do you think that makes them feel about you? How are they going to, are they going to do business with you in the future? Are they going to recommend you? Are they going to be one of your hundred, a thousand true fans? No, No. they're going to feel resentful and they're going to have buyer's remorse and then roll their eyes when they see your Facebook ad. Mm-hmm. And think to themselves like, oh, well, that course just didn't deliver. Mark and if ripped. somebody asks them about that course, they're going to tell them, well, yeah, it didn't really work for me. And that's not the kind of word of mouth anyone wants. No, no. And I think this is where, you know, one of the other kind of things you want to bring up was the courses are not really passive. Yes. Because people think they're just going to record some videos and throw up a worksheet and good to go. No, that's not how it works. Yeah. Because like the promise in the marketing and sales is that you'll have freedom and you'll stop trading dollars for hours. Um, But that is not the reality that I've seen. And Maggie, you and I have had some conversations about this because freedom seems to be a huge marketing message these days. So what do you think about this appeal to freedom we see so often? Can I have an entire like new podcast with <laughs> without going into like 5,000 layers of nuance on this? Because it's, it's hard for me sometimes not to. Yes. But, um, you know, the at the surface level, the appeal to freedom is very enticing, right? It's mm-hmm. um, you're going to get because most people start their business. Freedom is one of those freedom and flexibility are like the t- most people aren't like, I want to make a lot of money. That's not really the thing driving them. It's the time freedom. Yeah. It's the, you know, the freedom to do work that interests them. Like there's a lot of elements to that freedom. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, this is where this gets sticky for me is the core, the the ecosystem around courses is not really about freedom. Um, maybe the celebrity entrepreneurs at the top of this have freedom, but it's not free if they're exploiting their teams to do it. No. It's not free if they're grifting their students to get it. The only person getting free is the person at the top of the pyramid leading the the duping, the grift, the manipulation, whatever it is. So like, is it really about freedom? I don't know. And then I will just say on a personal level, I have a very, um, I've thought a lot about freedom because Lord knows I've used this messaging. This is why I like, I wanted the flexibility and the freedom for my life. But I feel like the, the, the use of the word freedom in a 2021 world where people are talking about free to their freedom so much feels really misaligned to me and if it just smacks so much of like rugged individualism and protestant works mm-hmm. work ethic and most of all just so fucking much privilege like 
uh, I can't, I can't with the freedom message. People, please improve your messaging. Please. It's making me hostile. <laughs> I know. And I know I said to you the other day in a very flippant way that sometimes I feel like when I see entrepreneurs talking about freedom, I feel like it just means like they want money for nothing. <laughs> They yeah. don't want to actually work. They want their team, their um, their their certified coaches or whoever to deliver the program while they're, I don't know, feet up on the desk or I guess feet up at the beach, like just counting the money. <laughs> and like I said, the f- there's no freedom. It's not free if you are exploiting other people to get it. And that's the way capitalism works. Yep. So many of these people are not paying their teams a living wage. So many of these people are treating the service providers who actually make this possible for them like crap. Um, they're hiring success coaches for $15 and $20 an hour. They're having salespeople do commission sales for $12 in a major metro an hour plus commission. So what do you think that salesperson's going to do? They're going to sell you the thing because they need to make a living. That's the ecosystem around this. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the one thing that I was thinking about is like when you have a course and you're not just going to exploit your team, you're still very much involved every single day, you're just creating a different kind of job, a different kind of position for yourself in your business. And maybe that's the position of being a content creator because you have to constantly be growing your audience in order to make a course sustainable or, you know, you need an ad strategist. There's customer service to do. There's the constant updating the course to provide a better learning experience. If you have a course, please do this on occasion. That's so very important. And even if you're outsourcing almost all of that, you've increased your overhead and have to sell more to pay yourself, to pay your team a living wage and to pay yep. yourself. So you, and even if you do outsource everything, somebody's got to manage those people and make sure that they're doing it. And so, yes, that might, you might find yourself in the role of a manager, but business itself is not a money for nothing endeavor. There's always some kind of work to do to make the business work. And as a business owner, you get to decide like, what do I want my position to be? What kind of business do I want to run? All right, Maggie. And can I just touch on one yes. thing with this? The tools. Yes. The tools. I just did a, a tools analysis for our business. And even just running programs in the business to entrepreneur space, my tools costs are double what they are for the agency. Double. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Right. And it's just like, no one talks about this. It's like, oh, it's going to be so easy. It's like, it requires a lot more marketing, it requires a lot more sales, and it requires a lot more tools expenses. Yes, it does. And now this is going to bring me to my favorite portion of this podcast. Did you just say math is your favorite? What's going on? I know it's, it's the math. I actually like statistics. I taught statistics. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of into math, but I'm always into this, the math of figuring out like how to be profitable in your business. (laughs) Like that's math I can get behind. Okay. So while you do that, I'm going to like 
take a moment and just like not think about the fact that this is math. Okay. Yes. Because there's a very good point behind it because I, my goal here is to kind of walk you through the thinking. If you are thinking about doing a course, because once again, it might be the right move for your business, but you need to understand the math and the jobs you're creating for yourself. So whenever one of my clients tells me they want to create and sell a course, the first thing I do is take them through some math so that they understand what it's going to take so that they have a realistic expectation and not a marketing sales message expectation. So the first thing I do is I ask them how much money do they want to take home every year? And I'm not talking about how much money do you want your business to make? I am talking about how much money you want to pay yourself so that you are living a comfortable lifestyle. So this is not about revenue. This is your take-home pay. And then I find out how much are you thinking of selling this course for? And then we can start thinking about how many courses they need to sell to reach that that goal, that take-home pay. So based on those three questions, we can figure out how big your audience needs to be. So let's say my client tells me that she wants to pay herself $100,000 a year. And I'm like, cool. So if we think about this in profit first terms and use that as our guide, we know with profit first percentages that if you're under 250K, you pay yourself 50% of your gross business revenue. So if she wants to pay herself 100K, she needs to make $200,000 in courses. And for the sake of easy math, let's say her course sells for a thousand bucks. That means she needs to sell 200 courses a year to make that money. Now, here's the rub. The well-known but dirty little secret of the online industry is that most courses convert at one to three percent. One to three percent. That is not a huge conversion rate. So if you have a hundred people on your list, a hundred people, you can, you can expect one to three people to buy your course. So for every 100 people on your list, one to three people will buy your course. So if you need to sell 200 courses, you need to have 20,000 people on your email list for a 1% conversion rate or 6,170 for a 3% conversion rate. The bottom line is like, you need a big audience to make this work, to make sure that you can pay yourself what you need to pay yourself. And what will happen is you always have to keep this audience growing. The no audience, no problem myth is a lie when you look at the math. Now, there are X, there are the there are exceptions to this. So for instance, if you have an incredibly well-defined niche where no one is offering a solution. So for example, my client and friend of the pod, Annie Frisbee, she's a lactation consultant and she has a business toolkit for other lactation consultants. And this lac- this toolkit allows them to make sure they're HIPAA compliant, to, ma- to help them set up their business in the proper way. And And it sells 
really well because it's super specific to an industry and no one else is offering it. So Maggie, now that you've survived the math. <laughs> I, I'm here. I'm here. Still here, everybody. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because I love this math. So how do you think having an incredibly well-defined niche versus a general audience impacts your course sales? Oh, tremendously. And I will like a little challenge for all of you. When you are on a course creators, someone who teaches has a course about creating a course or a program about creating a course, I challenge you to go through those testimonials and look at what markets they're in. Those runaway 1%, you know, results, not typical testimonials, they aren't typically coming from the general B2E marketing sales mix. They're not, mm-hmm. they're, they're generally not. It's much harder to be competitive. Um, whereas I can think of a few people I know have known over the years that have, like Annie, really, really, really specific courses, like a dog training course, or and they're using something that's like, there's a very specific niche they're often first to market. They're the first person to have a course in that market makes a huge difference. I'm thinking of a client we had a few years ago that worked in the, she was a teacher and worked in a very specific um, teaching style. She was wildly successful because of that tight niche. And the problem is the majority of people that are in this market are not those people. They're people who are going to sell you another Instagram course. Like, do we need another copywriting course? I don't think so. Exactly. So yeah, like a course can be a, like wildly successful when you are very well niched and very specific. And there's some blue ocean. There's some, you know, no one else is really doing what you're doing in that space. All right. So we have covered a lot. We have covered the good of courses. We've broken down the bad and the myths and the marketing messages and tackled the math. But what should you ask yourself to decide if the course it dream is actually your dream? And it's your decision. Like everything we talk about on Duped, there's so much nuance here. Courses are neither good or bad bad, but you have to decide what kind of business you want before walking down that course path. So here are four questions to ask yourself. The first one is, what's your revenue goal and how much do you want to pay yourself? (laughs) Because knowing those two numbers, it will impact everything else in your decision. It will tell you, information about how big of an audience you need, how much you should be selling your course for, like all of that information. And the other thing to consider, the second question is, what job do you want to have in your business? Do you want to be managing a team? Is that going to be your primary job? Do you want to be a content creator who's always growing their audience. So get specific on the kind of job that you want. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to the part we talked about with the transformational experience, like, is this the best way to deliver that transformation for your clients? Is it is the course the right thing? Or is there another container for that? I think that's really important to think about. And then the other thing I just, you know, as the poster child champion advocate for service businesses in the in this space. Like, if you like working with clients, you don't have to do this. And 
Or, you know, do you, how do you like engaging with your clients? Do you like a lot of FaceTime? Do you want it to be um, more of this course, like you're, you know, faceless people? Like you've got to really consider how those customers and clients and how you want to be interacting with them. Because I know for me, the big thing was I was like, I don't actually know who these people are. I don't know them. This feels really weird. I do not like this. And that was a big factor in why I was like, I need out of here. I'm going to change this up and do something different. Yeah. And I think for some people, they like that more transactional relationship. Yes. But I think since you and I have done so much service-based business, it's like for us, I'm like, no, I want to know everything about my people and how it's going. I want to be able to track them online to see how they're implementing their messaging. Like, I, 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 I love that. I love knowing my people. I love getting to see them succeed and thrive in their business. It's it's fulfilling. Like that's how I want to be fulfilled. And other people are fulfilled by creating content and that's okay too. Yeah. I think there's something interesting to be said though, for me, like, and I think about what you're saying, like, I want that intimacy. Mm -hmm. Part of that intimacy is I think that's what makes me better in my business. Like I'm able, there's a constant feedback loop. Like I just think of the last mastermind enrolled, like, you know, I talked to seven different people and I got seven different perspectives, seven different sets of questions. And that ultimately has my, like, I was very creatively blocked before I did those calls. And I'm so glad I had that FaceTime with them and like interacting with my clients day in, day out. That makes a huge difference in the quality of my business and what we offer and how we serve. And I I Mm -hmm. wasn't able to ever get that from a course. That is a really good point. And if you are somebody who's thinking about creating a course, like how do you build in that mechanism? Because the thing about interacting with clients or getting on sales calls is that you get so much customer research. You get Uh to hear how they're talking. You get to hear what's clear, what's unclear to them. You get to hear what their hesitations are. So, I mean, you just get so much information. And I find, well, once again, researcher, but I always find that fascinating. It's such great feedback and it just makes you, it makes your business better at the end of the day. Absolutely. So that is it for courses. Now we're going to talk about our favorite segment. Shit, Shit, I saw on the internet. (laughs) I know we're so excited because, uh, and just so everyone has a little things, you know, Michelle and I were preparing for this recording the last few weeks and we were pre-gaming today on Voxer with each other, getting each other hyped up, which I think was great because we just like, it's like we never stopped recording this show, but (laughs) we've got so many options for shit I saw on the internet this week. So Michelle, do you have yours ready? Yes. And mine is actually about courses. It's an ad that I saw where literally this woman is promising that you can sell like a million dollars in courses without an email list, without a social media following and without a topic. And here, here, here's the key to success. Here's the key to how to do that. You just need to be yourself. You just need to tell your story. And that is how you can create a course that earns you millions. And that is the biggest load of bullshit I see. Like, I am over all of the messaging of like, oh, well, you just need to be yourself. Get paid for being yourself. And it's like, 
nobody is purchasing you. You are not the product. Your service is the product. And there's a whole lot of information beyond who you are and your story and your strengths that you need to tell. But this idea that you can like not even have a topic or an expertise and still sell like a million dollars in courses is, I mean, it just screams scam pyramid scheme. Like this person is, you know, selling a $2,000 course on how to create courses. Um, and, and I feel like Michelle, there's so many oh, of these, like this, just be yourself message, worst message ever. I know. I know. Because Get paid to be you. I'm not that interesting. <laughs> like how we talk about that we're going to do like an inst you know like an instagram story of our influencer day like me down in the basement cleaning my cat's litter boxes because my life is so blessed <laughs> yeah i'll be like oh drink another sparkling water had a handful of cashews mm, ate an egg. <laughs> went for a walk around my suburban neighborhood like it's yeah yeah, exactly. It's not all that interesting. But yeah, I think it's that overall message of like, you know, get paid to be you, except nobody's buying you. <laughs> that's that's not what you're selling. And if you're going to have a course that makes millions, you can't, like, you need an actual expertise, you need an actual topic, and you probably need an audience to sell it to. True story. <laughs> so for mine, I have many but oh, I want to no. talk about this something because this kind of will dovetail really nicely into our next episode is this industry's fixation on income claim marketing. I think we all know I have no use for this, but it is so insidious. It is everywhere. I am literally watching people answering questions on Facebook, like with their friends, ditch, you know, and the income claim slides in. My million dollar business, my four figure, like, like it's not four. It's never four figures. And it's, it's like, <laughs> I have more respect if there were four figures. Actually, I'm just, yeah. I'm going to be like, this is a four figure investment. And you know what? Four figures is not an insignificant amount of money. No, it is not. <laughs> like, oh, so can we not just like strip away the act and the, constant flex of like this is how much money I make yeah sometimes there might be a little context but like I don't know that that specific number is so much about ego and so much about marketing and positioning and trying to you know show up in this industry in a certain way and I'm just not here for it. I'm not here for it. There's a reason I don't engage in income claim marketing. And it's because how much money everyone makes is really a stupid conversation. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And usually it's delivered. I know we talked about this in last season. Like it's delivered with absolutely zero contacts. Like, oh, I made $100,000 for my last course launch, but I spent $90,000 in ads and I'm not telling you about that. <laughs> Or the one I saw about a course launch not that long ago, I shared this with you. And I was like, but this is what the person's not talking about. That's their revenue for the next six months. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you made $100,000. Well, and that has to last you for six months. I mean, that is, uh, that's really good. Like, I'm not saying right. that isn't. But like, that's a like, again, nuances, complexities, layers here, people, layers. It's like a cake. Where are the layers? I know, I know. But yeah, the income. And you know, the thing is, it's like, 
I've started just kind of glossing over all the income claim marketing because it's all sounds the same. Everybody's promising the same, the million dollar business or a hundred thousand dollar launch or $20,000 months. Like it, it, it all sounds the same. And as the marketplace becomes more and more competitive, we have to find new and interesting ways to talk about our work and income claims aren't that. Well, here, and here's the thing I think to think about in all of this. I got called out for calling out some income claim marketing. Let's just oh, say. I remember this. Yeah, without getting into the nuances. And it was very much of the like, we should be, you know, empowered women should empower other women. And I'm like, yes, and there's a line to that. It, it's very complicated. And if we are constantly, if we are constantly using that, it's it's not thought about how we are marketing each, each other in a really like, this is not empowering anybody. Income claim marketing is not showing potential. It's a flex. If it was done in a way to be like, hey, I know like you would like to make more money for your life in a way that it was not like, look at me in my private jet or sitting in first class or whatever other BS is there. I might pay more attention to it, but the intent isn't to empower anybody here. Make no mistake. There's no empowerment in this. It's the most disempowering message for the majority of people. Well, and it makes us always strive for the next level of income because it's never enough the way that we're marketed to. So it keeps it basically keeps us on the hook and it keeps us buying. And that's the problem with it. And I mean, it all comes down to conspicuous consumption. And we're going to talk more about that in an upcoming episode. But the part that really, we have this message of empowerment coexisting with a social justice message. And, but it's all rampant capitalism. Like, I don't understand how these people sleep at night because it it is so messed up. It really is. And on the next episode of Duped, we are going to be going deeper into this idea of high ticket offers, high ticket everything. So high ticket hustle. That's what I'm calling it. (laughs) I know. So I am really looking forward to that next episode. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And it gave you the information that you needed to make an intentional decision about whether courses are right for your business. Once again, there's nothing wrong with having a course, but you have to make sure it's aligned with the kind of business you want to run and it can get the results that your clients most want. So until next time, if you're loving the podcast, please rate and review us. It's how more people find us and be careful out there. Don't get duped. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate or review us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. To learn more about Duped, you can check out our website at duped.online for show notes and more details about your hosts.